Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing to be here again to worship our trying God. We extend a warm welcome to all of you who are present here and also to those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Attestation has been requested by a brother and sister Wayne and Erica Visser and seven of their children, Alistair, Brian, Nathan, Taylor, Liam, Harvey and Charlene, to the Free Reformed Church of Kelmscott. We wish them the Lord's blessing in their new congregation. You're reminded of the congregational meeting to be held tomorrow evening here in this building commencing at 8pm with the Seville Grove Steering Committee presenting. The next Classus North will the Lord willing be convened by the Free Reformed Church of Melville and held in this building on February the 2nd, 24. And this afternoon the worship service will be led by Brother Wagoner. Before we commence this service, let us sing together from hymn 65 verse 3. Sisters, if you're able to stand, please stand as we worship the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Grace to us and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Congregation, let's respond to God's greeting by singing from hymn 3, verse 1 and 2 page 362 of your book of praise and then we'll remain standing as we make confession of our faith in God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit by singing hymn one. Jesus. 
Let's now humble ourselves and pray. Ask God for a blessing over this worship service. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you've given us your word, that you inspired the scriptures for us and that every day we have your word available so we can read and hear you speak to us. Father, it's not natural for us to want to be here this afternoon to be taught and encouraged and admonished by your word. So we thank you too for your spirit. Lord, we're about to read a part of your word which is not easy to hear. Without your spirit to guide us, we wouldn't see your grace and mercy and love in the book of Hosea. And we would be inclined to ignore your teaching. So Father, please work in us this afternoon that we might have humility to accept your assessment of us. That we would not simply hear the voice of a pastor or a reader, but that we might hear from you, the living God. We confess that we ourselves can't do anything as we ought without your help. So Lord, help us to be still and know that you are God. Keep us from distractions. Teach us. Change our lives for Jesus' sake. And we ask it in his name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles. We're going to read first from the Old Testament. Uh, from the book of Hosea. Should be on page 892 if you're using a guest Bible. And then later we're going to read from the New Testament from 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. So our first reading will be Hosea chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Hosea chapter 2. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I'll go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I'll build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. And then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain 
the wine and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewellery, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. We'll now turn to the New Testament, the first letter to the Corinthians. We'll read from chapter 10, it's on page 1137 of your guest Bibles. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Paul writes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. 
Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So far the Bible reading. In response to the reading of God's word, we're now going to sing from Psalm 45. You'll notice on the top there above that psalm, it says that it's a love song. And it's actually a wedding song. So as we sing about the love between the king, this king and his bride, we do well to consider the relationship Christ has with us, his church, and about the relationship that we have with God through Christ. Let's sing from Psalm 45. We'll sing 1, 4 and 5.
sermon I hope to read this afternoon is written by Reverend Wes Bradenhoff, minister of our sister church in Launceston, Tasmania, and it addresses Lord's Day 34 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So we're going to read that now. You'll find that on page 550 of your Book of Praise. And we read through the, the Ten Commandments this morning, so I will just read... Uh, the first part of question and answer 92 dealing with the first commandment here we read what the church confesses what is the law of the Lord God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me Question and answer 93, how are these commandments divided? Into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbour. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in him alone, submit to him with all humility and patience, expect all good from him only, and love, fear, and honour him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures, rather than do the least thing against his will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. After the reading of this sermon, we'll sing together from Psalm 96, verses 1, 2 and 3. Beloved congregation of our Saviour Jesus, imagine the scene. A husband pulls into his driveway. He's come home early from work. He suspected it. He parks behind the car he's never seen before. He reaches over into the passenger seat and grabs the gun. He walks up to the door and enters the house his house. His blood is boiling. They were married less than a year ago. And together they stood at the front of the church. They looked in each other's eyes and exchanged vows before God and his people. They covenanted for a life together. They promised to love each other and only each other in this special way. But now She's broken the covenant. As he storms in the bedroom, gun in hand, there are screams for mercy. 
but it's too late for his jealous anger to be quelled. And the next day, the news headline reads, Double Homicide. Proverbs 6 warns against adultery. One of the reasons is that you endanger your life when you mess with another man's wife. It says in Proverbs 6 verse 34, for jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. And in Proverbs chapter 7, the Holy Spirit says that the adulterer does not know that it will cost him his life. When it comes to human beings, God says, watch out for the rage of a jealous husband. Marital unfaithfulness is wicked. And I think we can understand that the anger of a jealous spouse is justified. When you make vows and commit to each other, it's supposed to be for life. You're not supposed to cheat. Husband and wife have to be faithful to each other and only to each other. If someone comes between them, that's going to arouse strong emotions on the part of the spouse that's been cheated on. Now, obviously, that doesn't justify murder, but it does justify spousal jealousy. It's good and normal for husband and wife to be jealous for one another. This afternoon, we're learning about the first commandment, and this is about idolatry. And in the Bible, idolatry is compared to adultery. The worship of idols is compared to marital unfaithfulness. Whenever God's people give themselves over to idols, they are committing spiritual adultery. And we belong to the jealous God. He is jealous that we would be committed to him only. And idols, become, idols come in between him and us. And we want to pause here for a minute and be reminded of what we mean by idolatry. You might think that that's just referring to little statues or maybe false gods such as the Muslims worship or the Hindus or Sikhs or whoever else. And those are idols. But the Bible doesn't limit the term to those things. Ephesians 5 verse 5 says that covetousness is idolatry. When you make stuff your priority and you want more and more, you're an idolater. That's just one example. Idols are anything that takes the place of God. Anything we make more important than him is an idol. Anything we trust instead of him is an idol. Anything we trust in addition to him is an idol. And anything we find comfort from instead of or in addition to him is an idol. Anything that we start living for instead of God is an idol. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be sexual pleasure, pornography, money and wealth, sports, fishing, food, exercise, music, alcohol. It could be personal or family pride, and the list goes on and on. Human beings can take anything and turn it into an object of worship and devotion. And that's idolatry. That's the problem the first commandment is addressing. The Bible teaches us that our idolatry is not an abstract problem. It's not merely a theoretical, theological or conceptual issue. There's a heart issue. 
And that heart issue is directly connected to our relationship with God. The God who has called us his own. The God who has redeemed us with the precious blood of his son. The God who has loved us and pitied us. Idolatry is against him. Idolatry is forsaking him. Idolatry is adultery. Therefore, whenever we worship idols, God takes it personally. Just like a jealous husband when he discovers his wife has been cheating on him. And we'll explore this more fully this afternoon and we're going to learn about the husband, his wife and their relationship. God is the husband of his people. That picture of God as a husband is most vividly portrayed in the Old Testament book in the book of Ho- Old Testament in the book of Hosea. In fact, the prophet Hosea's life was meant to be a picture of God and his people. In chapter 1 of Hosea, God commanded the prophet to marry a promiscuous woman. So Hosea married a loose woman named Gomer. She got pregnant with the prophet's child. She gave birth to a boy named Jezreel. It was all good. The child was his. But after that, she started cheating on Hosea. She was that type of woman who couldn't stop from throwing herself at other men. She got pregnant again, but not with Hosea's child. This daughter was named Lo Ruhama, or No Mercy. After that child was weaned, Goma was back to cheating. She became pregnant again, and again it was not Hosea's child. She gave birth to a son, and the son was named Loami, or not my people. All of that was meant to be a living illustration of what had happened between God and his people. He was the faithful, committed husband. She was the wife of whoredom. Goma committed adultery against Hosea by cheating sexually with other men. Israel committed adultery against God by cheating with idols. All of that becomes explicit in our reading from chapter 2 of Hosea. God reveals that he is the husband of his people. In this chapter, he compares himself to the lovers that they've pursued instead of him. Israel went after these lovers, after those idols, because she thought the idols would bring her good things. Have a look at verse 5. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She thought that food, clothing, water, the necessities of life would be coming from her idols and therefore she went after them. But then look at verse 8. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Her husband had given her not only the necessities, but also beyond. He had given her more than what was necessary. Not only grain for bread, not just water but wine and oil and silver and gold. He had lavished her with good things. All the good stuff she had was from her husband. 
And then she took her husband's good gifts and used them for her lovers, for her idols. That tells us something about God and something about idols. With idols, we're inclined to think that we're going to get something good from them. No one would worship idols if they didn't think that. Our idols are going to give us some pleasure, some comfort, or some other kind of benefit. That's what we think. But idols lie to us. Perhaps it's better to say it this way. Our hearts and our feelings lie to us about what idols can do for us. Here's the truth. Here's the reality. Idols will destroy you. It's destructive to pursue idols. They can't and they won't ultimately provide you with good things. Instead, they'll ruin your life and lead you to hell. Let me illustrate how that happens with a couple of common idols. And by using these examples, we're not saying there aren't any other examples that could be used. There are plenty of them. We need to think that through for ourselves in relation to the idols that we struggle with personally. So these are a couple of common idols anyway. What does pornography promise you? It promises you sexual pleasure and for a time it may deliver, but it comes at a cost. The cost is enormous. By giving yourself to this idol, you are deadening your soul to God. By giving yourself to this idol, you are destroying your marriage with your husband or wife, or your future marriage, or other relationships if you're not married. You're destroying your family from within. By giving yourself to this idol, you're reducing people made in the image of God into sexual objects for your pleasure. If you don't stop living in this sin, you won't be in heaven when you die. This idol of pornography is so destructive, and yet it's so commonly pursued even among Christians. Loved ones, do we see that it's an idol? Do you see that it's going to chew up your life and spit you out? What does drinking to excess promise you? Drunkenness promises you a good time to relax you. And sure, you may have some relaxing times while overindulging in booze. It promises to dull your senses, give you some momentary comfort or relief. But this idol will also demand a huge price from you. Are you ready to pay the price? If you don't forsake this idol, it will take and take and take. You won't have a choice. Loved ones, it will take your health from you. There's liver cirrhosis, alcohol-induced dementia, cancer, obesity-related illnesses, diabetes, and the list goes on and on. This idol will destroy your health. It'll also take your family from you. The abuse of alcohol doesn't build up families. It destroys them. It destroys marriages and other relationships. The abuse of alcohol results in lies, violence, deadly accidents through drink driving, drownings, 
sexual immorality. And the Bible clearly says that those who abuse alcohol are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Is the pursuit of this idol worth it? Does it make sense to give yourself to an idol that will ruin your life and leave you empty? Those lovers are looking less attractive, aren't they? Now check out the husband. He's the one you want. He promises you that he'll love you through thick and thin. He doesn't want to destroy you. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to live with him forever. God, your husband, has your best interest at heart. He wants what's best for you, for your family, for your marriage, for everything. He's not a destroyer, but a builder. He's not a deceiver, but a truth teller. And he's a gracious provider, not a leech. God has freedom for you, not slavery. Your husband in heaven has pursued you even before the world was created. He's chosen you to be his own, and so why would you forsake him to chase after idols that will slaughter you? And we have to remember something else. God has revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. Christ came to make God more fully known to us. And this is true also in terms of his being our husband. Look to Christ, the most perfect bridegroom. Look at what he does. See how faithful and committed he is to his bride, to us. He gave up his exalted position in heaven. He's the son of God, creator and ruler of the universe. The king of kings became one of us. He loved us enough to take our place and he knew what God's demand was. The demand of the law is perfect obedience. When it comes to the first commandment, he knew that it means absolutely no idols. The husband saw his wife and saw her weakness and inability and he said, I'll do it for her. And he did. The bridegroom Jesus came and lived a perfect life in our place, a life that included zero idols. Everything that belongs to the husband belongs to his wife. His idolless obedience belongs to us. What a beautiful gospel truth. And it goes on. Our bridegroom also knew that we had a price to pay for our idols. He knew that we couldn't pay that price for ourselves. And so our husband, Jesus, said, I'll die for my wife. I'll suffer and die in her place and pay for all her idols. I'll take all her sins on me. And that's what he did. In Jesus Christ, we see a loving husband who has laid down his life for his bride to save her. He's the loving husband who sacrificed himself to save you. Loved ones, see that and believe it. Believe that Jesus is better than your idols. He's better because he loves you. You love your idols, but they'll never love you back. They'll just kick you in the teeth, and Jesus would never do that. Look at the cross, and you know it's true. So to understand that idolatry equals adultery, we have to look at the husband. But we also have to consider ourselves as his wife. 
Who are we? And what difference does it make? We have to remember above all that we are the beloved of the groom. We have been and are the objects of his affection. This is not because of anything lovable in us or because of what we've done. In his good pleasure, he's chosen to love us and have us for his own. We didn't earn his love in the past and we still don't. That love goes a long way back. It didn't start when we were born or even when we were conceived. It's a love that stretches back before creation. According to Ephesians 1, before the world was created, God knew his bride. He chose his people and he loved them. He ordained that the Saviour, Jesus Christ, would come and die for them in his love. So we were loved before time and then we were loved at the cross. The blood shed at the cross was blood full of love for us. And still today we are the beloved. Still today our groom Jesus is full of care for his bride. A good husband speaks up for his wife and that's something that Jesus does for us today in heaven. He takes note of our cares and our burdens and brings them to the Father. That's love and commitment. That's a love and commitment that ought to be reciprocated. It should come from our side of the relationship too. But on our side, there's this constant temptation. The temptation for us is to forget who we are and that stands in the way of loving our husband back. The husband is the creator and the wife is his creature. Not only did he marry us, he also created us. Just like he created all things. The temptation is for us to think of ourselves as creators. And that's what we do with idols. We create them. We take good things that God has put in this world and we create idols from them. We twist them into things that violate our relationship with God. And for good reason, John Calvin once said that human beings are idol factories. He said that because we are busy churning out idols constantly. And the world around us encourages us to do this. It even encourages us to make idols out of ourselves. We're told to put ourselves in the place of God. You may be familiar with a, a fairly popular book by Rhonda Byrne called The Secret from a, a few years ago. And this is what Rhonda Byrne says about how you should think about yourself. She writes, The earth turns on its orbit for you. It's with a capital Y. The oceans ebb and flow for you. The birds sing for you. The sun rises and it sets for you. The stars come out for you. Every beautiful thing you see, every wondrous thing you experience is all there for you. Take a look around. None of it can exist without you. No matter who you thought you were, now you know the truth of who you really are. You are the master of the universe. You are the heir to the kingdom. You are the perfection of life. And now you know the secret. Yeah, so basically you are God, according to Rhonda Byrne. Even if people don't always say it this explicitly, that's the way a lot of people think. God's not God, I am. The world revolves around me and it exists for me. Loved ones, that's idolatry. Full stop. That's a totally mistaken view of who we are and of who God is. 
Look, we are his creatures, created by him. We were created by him for a relationship with him. Adam and Eve destroyed that. However, we were redeemed by him through Jesus Christ for a new relationship with him. We have the Holy Spirit living in us so that we do have that relationship with him. We are his beloved, redeemed creatures. We are his bride and therefore we have to be who we are. Have you ever heard of the idea of open relationships or open marriages? It's this wicked idea that a husband and wife or two partners don't have to be exclusively committed to each other. I trust that you agree that such an idea is wicked, that it's totally contrary to God's plan for marriage between one man and one woman. The idea of an open relationship is just evil, repulsive. It's wrong through and through. So can we then have an open relationship with God? We'll have him as our husband, but also have other lovers alongside. Can we do that? No, we have to see that this is wrong too. God is jealous to have us as his bride. That his bride would have eyes for no one else but him. And that his bride would have that special relationship with no one else but him. Let's learn more about this relationship, our third point. Particularly, I want to lay out for you how there are two types of relationships. There are dysfunctional and unhealthy relationships, and then there are also healthy relationships. When it comes to God, we are to flee one and pursue the other. In terms of our marriage relationship with God, it can be, and it even often is, dysfunctional. We all have idols that tempt us. Whether we're sitting out here or over here or up here, standing up here, all of us. Sometimes we have to admit that we've given in to these idols. We've committed spiritual adultery and we've compromised our relationship with God. We've been unfaithful. So what then? Take comfort from Hosea's prophecy because it reminds us that God doesn't give up very easily. In his grace, he remains committed and he wants us to repent and come back to him. He wants us to make that 180 degree turn from our sin to hate it and flee from it. He wants us to repent. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that we read together. The Christians in Corinth had pursued idols. They had not been consistently committed to their husband. Verse 14 says, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Repent from your idolatry. Return to the Lord who loves you. When things go sideways in your relationship with him, don't give up on that relationship. He doesn't. Go back to the one who loves you. Confess your sins to him and ask him for forgiveness through Christ. And in his love, he will receive you back and he will carry on with you. It's not hopeless. 
And seeing that, we're also to pursue a healthier relationship with him. We've got to work hard and go after it. What does that healthy relationship look like? There's a lot that could be said about that, but we're just going to take our cue from answer 94 of the Catechism. If you've got that open still, you'll see how we work through that. It's a great summary of what the Bible teaches. A healthy relationship between wife and husband, between us and God, must include the following. The first one there is knowledge. You can't have a relationship where the wife doesn't know who her husband is, what he's like, what he's done, what he will do. If you've got no knowledge of your spouse, how can that be healthy? And so our knowledge of the true God, our husband, comes from studying his love letter to us, his word. The second one there is trust. Trust in him alone. A healthy marriage is built on trust. That's true with human beings and also true between us and God. We know that we can trust him. He's proven himself worthy of our trust through Jesus Christ. So place your confidence in him. The next one there is submission. The Bible teaches that wives are called to submit to their husbands. And the pattern for that is found with the church's relationship to Christ. And this is in Ephesians chapter 5. Submission means that we yield up our will to his. We give up what we want and we follow what he wants. And we do that because we know that he loves us and what he wants will be good for us. And it will be to his glory. So therefore we humble ourselves before our divine husband and patiently follow his lead. Next is expectation. In a healthy relationship with God, we expect all good from him only. We don't place our trust for good things in anyone or anything else. And then there's love. We love him with all our heart. We have a full measure of affection for him in our inmost being. So we don't just know things about him in our heads. We also have a deep emotional attachment to him in our hearts. Your whole heart has to be in this relationship. And then there's fear. The fear of God is sometimes misunderstood. When we're talking about a marriage type relationship with God, the possibility for misunderstanding is even greater. After all, if a wife is said to fear her husband, we would probably hear that and be somewhat concerned. A wife fears her husband. Does he beat her? Does he put her down and insult her? Does he threaten her? Wives fearing their husbands is not a good thing. So how does fear fit into the relationship we have with God, a relationship compared to marriage? I like the way Tim Keller explains it in his book on prayer. He writes this, Imagine that you are suddenly introduced to some person you have always admired enormously, perhaps someone you have hero-worshipped. You reach out to shake her hand and suddenly it hits you. You can't believe you're actually meeting her. 
you discover to your embarrassment that you're trembling and sweating and when you try to speak you're out of breath. What's going on? You're not afraid of being hurt or punished. Rather, you are genuinely afraid of doing something stupid or saying something that is inappropriate to the person and the occasion. Your joyful admiration has a fearful aspect to it. You are in awe and therefore you don't want to mess up. That's a helpful way of putting it from Tim Keller. In this relationship, we have the greatest reverence for our beloved. Because of how highly exalted he is, because of how impressive he is, that reverence is totally healthy and appropriate. Last of all, there's honour. Good wives want to bring honour to their husbands. And we can read about the virtuous wife in Proverbs 31 who does just that. And that's what we want to do. Rather than embarrass him with our cheating and unfaithful lives, we want to see our God lifted up and praised because of us. So these are the things that we ought to pursue. Knowledge, trust, submission, expectation, love, fear and honour for our God. Brothers and sisters, these are things that we should desire and pray for. We ought to pray that the Holy Spirit would work these things in our hearts so that we would be faithful to the jealous God who's claimed us for his own bride. Do we get it now that to God idolatry is the same thing as adultery? When we pursue idols, we're being unfaithful to him and he takes it personally. Idolatry is not a theoretical problem but a relationship problem. You don't want a bad relationship with God. That's going to end badly, guaranteed. Instead, you want to have a relationship with him in which he's being glorified and you're growing and flourishing. You want to have a relationship where he's loved the way he should be and you are growing in the experience of his love. So what better way to end this sermon than with the words that John ends his first letter with. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's sing from Psalm 96, verse 1, 2, and 3.
Let's pray together. O oh Lord God, our beloved husband, we thank you for your love and patience with us. We're thankful for your commitment to us and your faithfulness to us. We worship you because of your great love for us that you've shown us in our Saviour Jesus. And we thank you that in him we have the perfect obedience we need for our right standing with you. And we're glad, it makes us happy, that through Christ we have the forgiveness we need to have all our sins washed away in your sight. Oh God, thank you that we can be yours and that we have been yours even before the world was created. Your grace and love amaze us. Oh God, we know that you're a jealous God. You don't want your bride to share her love with others. Lord, how many times have we done that? We confess we have committed adultery against you with our idols. We have idols of pornography and drunkenness, money and wealth, pride and prestige, sports, music and heaps more. O oh, beloved God, we have broken the marriage covenant with you and we're sorry for that. We repent. For the sake of Christ, please forgive us. We turn away from our idols and we sorrow over them and we hate them and we want to flee from them. Please help us with your spirit to do that. Please help us with your spirit to have a healthy relationship with you. Lord, give us mercy so that we can know you more, trust you more fully, submit to you more consistently. Work in us with your spirit, more expectation, deeper love, a healthier fear of you, and always a desire to honour you as the one who has loved us so richly and graciously, O oh God. You are worthy of all this. We're prone to wander, Lord. We feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Take our hearts, Lord. Take and seal them with your spirit. We've been rescued from sin and danger, purchased by our Saviour's blood, and so help us to walk on earth as strangers, as sons and daughters and heirs of yours. Lord, as we prepare to leave here now, we pray that you'd not only help us in our fight against idolatry, but that you'd also give us the strength, patience and courage we need to face the many other challenges that we're experiencing right now. We're going into what's sometimes referred to as the festive period, Lord, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and we thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you'd help all of us to experience peace, also and especially to those of us who find this to be a really difficult time for all sorts of reasons. We pray that you would comfort and encourage us also when we experience the pain of broken relationships, the frustrations of our daily work and our many physical and mental health concerns. In this light, Lord, we think especially of our brother Mahoney who is still in the hospital experiencing pain. Be near to him, Lord, and please restore his health. Lord, we also thank you for the joy we experience in so many ways. Help us not to take it for granted when we experience healthy relationships, success in our work, and when we experience good health. All these good and perfect gifts come from you, and we thank you. 
Lord, we also thank you for the joy that we share with Julia Boone and Braden Wagoner, who could be engaged this past week. And we ask that you'd please bless them as they plan and look forward to marriage. And Lord, we also thank you now for the opportunity to give our gifts for the work of mission in PNG this afternoon. And it's our prayer, Lord, that you'd be pleased to use these and all the work that happens there, Father, that people there too would also truly believe in Jesus Christ, the Saviour. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Now of opportunity to give you gifts of thankfulness to the Lord. The collections this afternoon for the mission work in PNG. And after the collection we'll stand and we'll sing together from hymn 3 and we'll sing verse 5.
Lift up your hearts unto God, receive the blessing of the Lord, and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.